Well, good morning. It's good to see you here in worship today. Yeah, I was going around before the service greeting some people, and, and easily half of the people I got to introduce myself to for the first time. And so I just thought that if you wonder, who's this old guy, all right, that they allow to preach every once in a while? Well, I served on staff here for 25 years a bit, and in fact, I was pastor, and Jason, uh, yeah, I've, thank you all. Uh, the church ran me off. No, no, I've, God, God moved, and it was so obvious when I was pastor that Jason was the guy, and the church felt that way too, and he gives me the privilege of preaching periodically, and and I'm always glad to be with you and, and Sandy and I myself as well. And, uh, but I want you to know, I think you're in for something special today. You say, well, Gary, what does that mean? Is it because it, your sermon has nothing to do with what I think is my sermon? When I, in my years of pastoring, I always knew that God was up to something when I saw the devil undermining what we were trying to do. And certainly having a, a, a guest guy up here, there's certain systems they have all in place that everybody knows but me, okay? And so I've already run off with a battery pack they needed at 9.30 this morning. And then uh, I walk in and they tell me Reggie has gotten sick. And didn't this team do a great job up here? I mean, golly, as always. And uh, then I saw a microphone go bad. Jim, you've never had that problem, have you, at all? And I was just sitting there going, you know something? God has something he wants to say today. And the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God has something specific to say to your life today. And, and you know, he's already a defeated foe, and he has to run around and mess up. But we have a God who's greater than that. Amen? And uh, so we're going to just see what the Lord has to say as we continue in this series on joy. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, with me to the book of James, James chapter number one. Now, those of you who know me very long know that one of my favorite recreation things to do is play golf. And I can only play golf on days that end in Y. So I'm always trying to figure out when I can play. Well, the other day I was uh, sitting at home. Sandy was busy off doing something. And there's a golf course about three minutes from my house. And I thought, at the end of the day, Matt, I'll just go play nine holes, have a good time. Got my car zoomed up there. When I got out of the car, I realized something I didn't know. The wind was blowing 25 miles an hour. But, you know, golfers have a saying, if you can't play in the wind, you can't play. Okay. And the guy I was checking, he said, you know, you got the course to yourself because nobody wants to be out in this wind. And so I go get my golf cart and head out. Now, what's so wonderful about this golf course is the first six holes are with the wind. And I got a 25-mile-an-hour wind behind me, and I'm going, hey, 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 what's the course record, okay? And I can knock it a long way, and it's a lot of fun. And I'm moving along scoring like never before. And then... On hole number seven, uh, hole number six, you turn against the wind. It's a long, brutal par five, water all over to the, you know, and water to the right and, uh, you know, all kinds of places to hit your golf ball. And I'm sitting there and I feel like something is just beating me to death. And I sit there and I said, you know, this is ridiculous. So I went back to the first hole and played the first six again, all right? <laughs> I mean, hello, you can get to do that, okay? And I, you know... It's just a lot more fun playing with the wind behind your back. Now, don't you wish life was like that? I mean, every one of us know the joy of when the wind's behind us 
And wow, wow. And, and we just feel like nothing could ever stop us. But then life turns against us. And we don't get the choice of going back and playing it differently. God's called us into a situation. He's given us a cup to drink. He's given us circumstances to face, situations in our lives, maybe a a bad medical report, maybe something going on with our job, our finances, or maybe something with our kids or grandkids. And that statement is you're uh, uh, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child really kind of comes out like crazy. And God's put you in that place. And what you do, you're just like me. You ask God to change it. God, would you take care of this right now? And there's times in life he doesn't. There's times in life he leaves us in that situation. And what's so difficult about that is in the middle of that, the joy that we seem to have when life was going good is elusive. It's hard to find. Oh, it's one thing to have joy when wind's behind us and life's going good, but it's quite something else when it turns against us. Well, that's my assignment today. Jason has given me the assignment of how do we handle joy? How do we find joy in the midst of difficult trials and situations? We're going to look at a text right now that just describes it like crazy. It's out of James. Now, what you got to know about James, he's writing this in the middle of a church that is being persecuted like crazy. Stephen has been stoned. James later in his life will be stoned to death himself, will be martyred for his faith. And those people knew from the beginning that you better know how to find joy in the midst of trouble or you'll never have joy because it was a constant presence. And it's in that context. James writes the first chapter. If you would, look at these the three verses. James chapter 2, there's two words that are going to just jump off the page at you. It's the very first one. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now look at the next word. For you know, you ought to circle the word know. Because that word count and that word no go together. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Well, that very first word is a word that is very difficult to get your arms around because it has so many different meanings. How do you count something joy whenever you're in the middle of trials and difficulties. Well, the word count has three or four different meanings. The first word meaning is to deem something as so. In other words, you decide it is so. You say it is so. Sandy and I have a statement in our lives that we, we say it before it happens because we know it's going to happen because God's promised it. Sometimes you have to deem something even though it doesn't feel right. It was also was a word that was used in the accounting world, in the financial world. In talking about debit and credit and count something, are you going to count it on the debit side or the credit side that you make a decision of where you're going to live your life in the middle of the trial or in the middle of what God wants to do within your life? But then also, it is a word that talks about something being governed. Interesting nuance of that word because I've watched that part of it be played out a lot. It means that you can be governed by something. And what it's saying in this text is you can be governed by the tragedy or the trial, the discouragement, or you can be governed by the joy of the Lord. It's a choice that you make. And as you begin to look at it, you begin to realize that the last meaning of that word is, is the word that is the most important because, in fact, in the New American Standard, it uses this word rather than count. It speaks about considering something. In other words, that word consider is deciding you're going to focus on something. And what he's saying, I believe, in this text is you can focus on your trials. 
You can focus on your difficulties. And what you can do is you do that, it will just consume you. And as you focus upon that, it's primarily focusing on yourself. And the more you focus on yourself and the trouble that you're having and the fact God's not taking care of it and it's not getting solved and it's causing me trouble and costing me money and taking me down physically, the more you focus on that, the more you're going to see the ramifications of that. But he says you have the choice of focusing there or you can focus upon Jesus. We're going to look at that in a moment out of Hebrews where it says we can fix our eyes on him. And you can focus upon Jesus and that is where the joy is. You'll not find joy whenever you focus continually on what's going wrong within your life. We you say, Gary, how, how would I know which one of these I'm doing? In other words, how would I know if my focus is on me or it is upon Jesus? Well, what I've discovered in life is I can look at some things happening in my attitude and in my life, and it becomes a testimony of where my focus is. Because here's the thing, is if you focus upon the trial, guess what? It's going to dominate you. It's going to color everything in your life. It's going to color your marriage. It's going to color, color your friendships. It's going to color your vacations. It's going to color your place at work. And what can begin to happen to us is, is that we begin to focus on that. And our only prayer then is God change this. God change this. God change this. And we want to know how to have enough faith to get this situation taken care of. When in reality, God's not going to take care of it and we turn our focus off of it. And what can happen to us in life is we begin to just get focused upon what's going wrong, and it colors everything. Several years ago, Sandy and I went on our, an anniversary trip to England. It was at a time in our family where we were having some incredible trials and troubles within our family. And we went on this incredible vacation. I'm with the best woman in the world going to England. I'm getting to play two of the greatest golf courses in the world. And we're having all kinds of fun, supposedly, and go to D-Day and see all that happens there uh, in the D-Day Museum and all that stuff. I should have been having a great time. But I want you to know, I was so consumed but what was going on in our family, it was a struggle, struggle, struggle every day just to even smile. And that's what can happen to us sometimes, is when our troubles become that big within our lives, it gets a hold of us, and we become angry about our situation. We become angry at God. We become more depressed and discouraged, and we wonder why God's not changing it. Well, God can't change anything as long as our focus is on our problem. And then what begins to happen to us? is we realize that our only resource when we focus on the problem is us. What can I do to change this? What can I do to make it happen? Now, some of you are like me. I, I'm kind of a make-it-happen guy. If there's a problem, I want to go after it. I want to solve it. I want to spend the money to get it taken care of. I want to move everything I can to make things happen. But here's what happens to us, is when our focus is on ourselves, our only hope and strength is ourselves. The book of Ephesians describes that, that pretty well when, when it says it like this in the 12th verse. It says, remember, you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, that's describing lost people. Listen, it can even describe you and me, people with no hope separated from God, not able to get a hold of God's power. And what we begin to do is we begin to try and make it happen make it happen, make it happen. And we think the whole solution resides with us. And we get frustrated, we get frustrated with life, with ourselves and with our situation. But then what begins to happen 
is we have to find some way to medicate ourselves in dealing with this. I'd call this self-medication. Some people do it with drugs and alcohol. And a lot of drugs and alcohol are passing around today and wanting to get high. Why are people wanting to get high? They don't want to face their problems. They can't overcome them, so they got to medicate themselves. But guess what? There's some other ways to self-medicate. You can pour yourself into your work, pour yourself into projects, pour yourself into recreation, pour yourself into relationships, pour yourself into sexual experiences, pour yourself into all kinds of things, and you go overboard with that. Why? It's because you don't want to face the pain. You can't deal with it. Some of you in this room find yourself going to extremes on stuff, and you wonder what's happening. What's happening is is you are unable to deal with your situation. So the only thing you can do is find something to replace it with and try and find some life, but it seems as though the farther you go, behind you get. And what happens to us is this becomes the devil's playground. The evil one loves it when we take control. The evil one loves it when we focus on ourselves because what he wants to do is cause us to doubt the goodness and the love of God. And if he can get us so focused on our problem, he will whisper in our ear, well, God's not good. He didn't love you anymore. He wouldn't let this happen to you like that if he really loved you. Guess who he did that with in the very beginning? He did it with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, life was, the wind was behind him. I mean, Adam and Eve got to play all his holes, uh, Adam did, with the wind behind him, okay? Everything grew right, everything did right. But the devil came to him and said, you know something? God's withholding from you. He's not good. He's trying to keep something from you. And he caused Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness and the love of God. And when God, when the devil does that, he's got you right where he wants you. And when you begin to focus on your problem and your trial and your situation, that's exactly where you find yourself. You become angry with God. You begin to doubt God. You begin to doubt what God's doing, and you become an easy prey. I become an easy prey to what the devil wants to do within our life. And the problem is, is our focus has become what's happening around us. And if that's happening in your life today, all I would say to you, as long as you continue like this, focused on yourself, you're going to stay on a downward spiral. And the one thing you will never, never have is the joy of the Lord. You say, okay, Gary, what would happen if I did focus on Jesus? What would happen if instead of sitting around and going, oh, me, oh, my, and complaining about my problems, if I decided to say, you know something, Jesus? You knew this was going to happen before it happened. And I don't know what your solution is, and I don't know where you're going with this, but I've decided going with me doesn't do any good. I've decided to turn my eyes and go with you. Well, what begins to happen when you do that? Well, what you begin to discover is that Jesus gives us a great example about how this happens. It's just turned back from your James passage, just one little page, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 12, one of the greatest texts in the Bible. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, even the sin which clings so closely, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In other words, that cup he's called us to drink, that trial he's called us to endure. What are we supposed to do? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus. In fact, some of the translations talk about fix your gaze upon Jesus. Why? Because he's the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you begin to look to Jesus, you begin to realize he's given us a picture of how we find joy in the middle of our trials. Is it because it all changes quickly? That didn't happen on the cross. Is it because God just takes away the pain and solves the problem? That didn't happen on the cross. It spoke about him having to endure that cross. It talked about him having to persevere through that cross. It talked about him having to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And what we have to realize in the very beginning is that the decision that we're going to walk with Jesus through the situation, not because Jesus is immediately going to change the situation. And what Jesus did is he knew out in front of him there was a joy setting before him. He knew that God had promised him if he would obey him. So he left heaven, left heaven's glory with all the glory that had, and the Father sent him to accomplish something upon this earth, knowing that when he accomplished it, there would be great joy, there would be great glory, there would be incredible experiences. But guess what? He had to walk through the Garden of Gethsemane. Sweat drops of blood as he prayed, asking God to take it away. He had to be beaten by people that if he could just spoken, they'd all be gone. He had to be strung up on a cruel cross, spit at, ridiculed. This man who created this world, he had to take all that. He had to endure all of that. What would ever cause someone to work their way through this? It was the joy that he knew God had put in front of him. What he did was he believed God. That, that word no, he knew that God was going to take care of him. It was an act of faith. And let me say to you that one of the greatest acts of your faith may be the fact that you've got to keep walking toward Jesus when you don't understand, when you don't see solutions, and you cannot make anything change. You have to decide, I know that my God has something out there in front of me that is incredible, and I'm going to walk my way through it. And what begins to come to our lives is a sense of, of joy. That is why in that text, in, in the, uh, the book of James, it says right here that you would know that the testing of your faith. That's the faith experience. That word know right there means confidence, assurance. It means knowing that if I will faithfully follow Jesus through this, He's going to do something in my life that only God can do. You begin to look at this and you realize that the faith experience isn't just getting things changed. The faith experience is the strength of the Lord that walks us through some situations. You see, Jesus wasn't defeated by the cross. Do you know why? The reason he wasn't defeated by the cross is he saw the other end. And he knew that he had come to accomplish that work. And he knew that if he did what God wanted him to do and following through this difficulty, there would be glory and honor after that. He would one day sit down at the right hand of God. And I'd just say to you this morning, if you can't live your life like that, if it's all got to be changed now and immediately, you're going to be sorely disappointed in God because he doesn't do it that way. What he does is walk us through the situation and we look out to the future, and the joy comes because we know what God's going to do with this. And even when the pain is there, there's joy because we know that God has something out there in the future that's bigger than we could ever imagine. 
But also, in the middle of walking with Jesus through this and focusing upon him, we get the opportunity, listen to this, to see the grace and the power of God as never before in our lives and to see that the grace and the power of God is sufficient. How in the world do you get the grace of God within your life? How in the world do you get this supernatural power to be at work? Well, Paul describes it over in 2 Corinthians. Listen to this text. You remember Paul had the thorn in the flesh? And it says in, in, in verse number of 2 Corinthians 12, it says, I've got this thorn in the flesh. It's driving me crazy. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that this should leave me. Nothing wrong with doing that. God will do that sometimes. God will move him miraculously and immediately. But listen, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power, Gary Smith, is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. Look at this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guess what you discover in the bottom of the pit when things are not working out and you decide to be faithful to the Lord? When you decide to fix your eyes not on the situation but on Jesus and let him lead you through it. You find two things. First thing you find is the grace of God. Wow. The grace of God. It's the favor of God. It's the, it's the favor of God when we deserve much worse. But God out of his goodness and God out of his love brings favor upon our lives. And when that favor comes, we see things happen we never could have made happen. And that's not because we did it. It's because God did it. And what happens to us is when we begin to experience this grace, the last thing we want is somebody bragging on us. We want people to brag on the Lord because we know that we didn't get it there. We know by his grace that we got it there. And we want the world to know and what I am today, where I've come today, not because something I did, because of something God did. And the world sees the grace. But also, we experience something supernatural. Can I ask you in your life, have you experienced the supernatural power of God? Something that can only be explained by the Creator God doing it in your life. You say, well, not, not much, Gary. Where does that come? Guess where it comes? Paul says, it comes out of our weakness. Wow. It comes when we're out of our strength. It comes when we have no more answers. It comes when we cannot make it happen anymore. And this great God shows you and me the way he spoke this world into existence. In the same way, he can do supernatural things around us. You see, in the middle of trials, we can find joy because we get to see the grace and the power of God like never before. And when we begin to see it in a way that surprises us even as God does it, wow, something incredible happened. Guess one of the things that happens? 
is the world sees it. You and I need to know that if we claim to be followers of Christ, the lost world is watching not how we handle the blessings, but they're watching how we handle the trials. And what speaks to their heart more than anything is not the great life that we have, but when that great life falls apart, and they're watching to see what we're going to do with it. I remember a young man that came to me when I was very first pastor here at Fielder, and he said, I, I want to talk with someone about Jesus. I mean, here I'm at the office. I said, oh, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. No, no. I said, come on, let's sit down. And I started sharing the gospel with him, and he said, stop, I want Jesus. You don't have to tell me anymore. And I said, well, I've got some other things I'm supposed to tell you. He said, I don't care. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Can we get this on? Okay. I said, well, okay, all right. Got down on our knees and gave his life to Jesus and was baptized. I asked him, I said, wow, what got you to this point where you're begging me to know this Jesus? He said, well, I've got an uncle. That uncle lives in a little town in Arkansas called Lonsdale, Arkansas. And he's out there on his tractor and he let his little boy drive the tractor and mow the yard. And a sudden little storm came up and lightning hit my uncle's son and killed him on that tractor. And he said, all of us watched my uncle to see what it would do to his life. And for all these years, we have been amazed at the grace and the power and the strength and the joy of the Lord. And that's what I want in my life. Guess when we testify to that the most? Not up on the mountaintop, down in the valley. And we have got to decide, you know something? I believe that I want to know about this God and his power and his grace. And you will find it in the joy of it as you walk through difficult times. But then one other thing, I'll conclude, okay? In fact, I always try and preach shorter than Jason so you'll want me back no matter what, okay? <laughs> but he, he's got so much more to say than I do, okay? Okay, last thing, listen to this. When we trust and focus on Jesus in the middle of difficulties, we see God accomplish something, listen to this statement, greater than our pain. You say, well, Gary, you don't know about my pain. What, what, what could be greater than my pain? What could be something in my life that I would even look at the pain and, 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 and realize that it was worth it for God to get me someplace? Well, that James passage, verses 3 and 4. For you know that the testing of your faith produces something, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. Now, that word perfect there doesn't mean you do everything perfectly. It just means you're mature. And you're a person who sees your life lacking nothing. How do you get to maturity in this Christian faith? Yes, it includes Bible study. Yes, it includes worship. Yes, it includes all these things that we see, but let me tell you a main instrument God uses to mature our faith and make us more like Jesus. It's trials, difficulties. But we know and believe that when our faith is tested, we have a God who's up to something more than getting us out of the problem. He's up to growing us to be like his son Jesus, which becomes the greatest gift God could ever give to us. The book of Romans describes it probably better than this does. Romans chapter number 5, listen to this, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Who would ever rejoice in their sufferings? Knowing, there's that word knowing again, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These traits that he's described right here, are they valuable to you and me? Or is having an easy life most valuable? Is God solving all of our problems and taking care of every situation? We see, if that's what our goal about the Christian life is, is how to live with ease and have a lot of stuff, we're going to be disappointed when it goes the wrong direction. But when we realize that in the middle of trials and difficulties, God's up to something that only God can do. He's building endurance in us, that strength. He's building character in us. That word character is a word that talks about being like Jesus. I don't know about you, I've come to value character more than anything else in this world. Someone who can be trusted. Someone who will do what they say. Someone who will tell the truth. Someone who will live in the right way of life. That's what God does in the middle of difficulties. He builds our character. He gives us hope that never puts us to shame. In other words, in the middle of our difficulty, we will never feel shame. Why? Because we get to experience the love of God, listen to this, being poured over into our hearts in abundance through the Holy Spirit. You want to know and experience the love of God in a powerful and miraculous way within your life? It's primarily going to happen as you focus upon Him and walk your way through the trials. Here's what I think is the major problem that most of us have in this situation. is when a wheel runs off or something goes wrong, and we get focused on it. We want to change it. We want to get it done and taken care of and get this solved and this person doing right and all those kind of things. That's our whole focus. But in reality, we should be stopping and saying, you know something, Lord, I want you to deal with this. But primarily, I want you to deal with this. And I want you to use this to make me into the person you want me to be that will bring to me the joy that I need and build in me a life that exemplifies the presence and the power of God. What we oftentimes do is just think about how to get it over, how to get it done, rather than cooperating with God in what He's doing in our lives and what He's doing through our lives. You may discover, you may discover the greatest witness of your life will be in the middle of that difficult situation. And God's trying to take you and me and use us for his glory. And the way he oftentimes does it is walking us through difficulties. And the only way we get there is to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things, what, of this earth will go what? strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I was going to sing that to you, but I would run the sermon, okay? I'm not as good as Mike Satterfield, all right? You see, God's up to something in your life. God wants to reveal Himself to you. God wants to show you His grace. God wants to shape you. 
One of the ways he does that is in the middle of a trial difficulty. You look to him and you find something in your soul happening, even in the pain, called joy. And it's a joy that isn't about the outside stuff. It's all about what he's doing on the inside. Let me just conclude with a quick story. Those of you who would not knew here at Field or might not know, we had a 13-year-old son who died in 1986. And so for 35 years, we have been dealing with the grief experience of losing a son. I will never forget in the early days of that grief when uh, happiness and joy was very, very elusive. A good friend of mine by the name of Paul Burleson, who had been a pastor mentor to me, called me and said, Gary, how you doing? And I, I said all those nice preacher things. You know, things that da, da, da. He said, no, Gary, how are you really doing? And I said, well, Paul, let me be honest with you. I said, you know, I can go on, I think. But the thing that's most elusive is joy. I said, I, I go to things with friends and other folks that used to be a lot of fun. About halfway through it, I'm ready to go home. And he said, he never, I'll never forget this. He said, well, you know something, Gary? Happiness is something you make happen. But joy is a gift from God. It's not a gift you can earn. It's not a gift you can make happen. It is an experience that comes by faith. And he said, you can, I I know you're suffering. And certainly you should feel suffering. But you're going to have to come to a place one day where by faith, you decide to move on and be faithful to God. I didn't like that. I wanted him to tell me how to take care of everything. But I made a decision at that point. Okay. Uh, I made a decision. I made a decision. The devil wasn't going to have me. I wasn't going to let this be a playground for the one who brings death to 13-year-old boys, that I was going to look to the Lord as best I could, walk in faith, and believe that the joy I didn't feel would be there in God's time. Wow. If I were to take all the joy I've experienced in 35 years and make each experience a grain of sand and fill up this room, And I didn't make any of it happen. God did it when I put my focus on him. There's some of you this morning, you're in the middle of some stuff. And you've tried everything you know to do. And you can't get where you need to get. Well, let me say, God's got you just where he wants you. (laughs) Because he's calling you to look what we're going to do is we're going to have an invitation time. There's going to be ministers, men and women here at the front to pray with you, but maybe you want to just come pray. Because right now you're walking through some stuff. And you right now need to turn your eyes off the stuff. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe some of you are here today. You're like that young man. You've seen somebody walk in faith and you're ready to give your life to Christ. Because you need that Jesus that other people have shown you. 
We're going to stand right now. Stand with me if you would. The praise team's going to lead us in a, a Christmas song. But listen, it's not about the song. It's about you. You want to come pray. You come. You come turn your eyes upon Jesus and see what he wants to do within your life for his glory. You come right now, would you?